Hello there, this is Fiona, host and main GM for What Am I Rolling, a twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. This is a bonus Q&A episode to tide us over to the next one-shot, and it's indeed a very special Q&A, as a few weeks back I had the pleasure of interviewing Jamie Frew, the creator of the old Hellfire Club, a Victoriana storytelling card game of drink, danger and rubber ducks. Set against the backdrop of Victoriana London, the players take on the role of destitute members of the old Hellfire Club, a disgraced aristocratic secret society. Together, they must recount tales of their greatest adventures in the hope that someone, somewhere, will buy them a drink. And they do this whilst arguing who the actual hero or heroine was. If you want to find out more about the old Hellfire Club and pre-order your own copy, be sure to check out the Backer Kit page. That's oldhellfire.backerkit.com forward slash hosted underscore pre-orders. You can also follow them on Twitter at Old Hellfire and on their Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Old Hellfire Club. I'll put links to Jamie's work and recommendations on the What Am I Rolling website and in this episode's show notes. We'll start off then, if you're if you're ready. So, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, who are you, and what do you do? I'm Jamie Frew. Um, in my real boring day to day life, I'm a, a project manager, which is really too dull to go into. In my personal life, I've just become a dad for the second time, so I'm completely knackered. Um, but for my real exciting being on podcast life, I invented a game. I invented a game called the Old Hellfire Club, which is a, if you like, a pub argument simulator. So what made you want to create this game then? Simple answer is I have always wanted to create a game. I've gone through the uh, how the old Hellfire Club came to be so many times in my head. And the simple answer is a sort of rather sad little Dickens tale in that I grew up in a family that hates board games and role playing. And I love it. So every year I would ask for a game for Christmas and my parents would dutifully get it for me, and my mum would play it with me once, and then it would go in a cupboard. (laughs) And I would spend the rest of the year playing it by myself, a little sort of six-year-old, eight-year-old, and I would start inventing little versions and and house rules and and what have you, and it all sort of grew from there, and I just, I wanted to see how far I could push it, and after a couple of attempts, I finally made a game that I was really, really proud of. Oh, that's that's so sad. (laughs) Just that, but also so good. So what games interest you then as a kid then? As a kid, I had access to Toys R Us. So I had really a, a, a very basic access to um, to gaming. So anything that was sort of vaguely unusual that you wouldn't find in a, a grandparent's cupboard, I probably didn't have. So I had things like Monopoly and Risk. And that's really where my, my love started. I have an embarrassingly large number of editions of Risk, probably about six different ones, including one set in the future and one set in the ancient world. And Whilst I completely recognise it's a bad game, I love it. I love the thing. Well, was it about risk that attracts you to it then? Because like I said, I've only played like the base version myself. <laughs> but to have all these different versions of it, it must be like, what is it that appeals to you? It's megalomania. It's really simple. It's being able to plan out and conquer the world and every once in a while you did it. In fact, I never won a game of Risk until I was at university. So even playing against myself. But that was largely because I used to get tired. But it's just that world that you can get lost in. And I think that's ultimately what drew me on to role-playing and storytelling, just because you can create that world. 
Tell us a bit more about Old Hellfire Club then. What makes it stand out from other storytelling games and other card games that are out there? Okay, so the Old Hellfire Club is a really simple storytelling game. It's basically 140 cards and the rules. I managed to get them down to fit onto three playing cards. And it's set in Victorian London, where you and all the other players are members of a real secret society that existed back in the 1800s, except the society has fallen on hard times and you are now all desperate drunks trying to tell the story of your greatest adventure in the hope that someone in the gin shop that you are slowly pickling yourselves in gives yourself a penny so that you can buy just a little bit more gin. And so have you always been interested in that era in general or just in the the sort of idea of telling stories and using cards as prompts? Well, what came first? It's totally both, totally both. I've always loved history. I've always loved the idea of different worlds where the world is developed. So I think that probably my, my first love in sort of the storytelling world was probably Discworld just because of the sheer level of depth that Terry Pratchett put into developing the world and that it was consistent across God knows how many dozens of stories. I just loved that. And it's probably fun truth that if one came sight before the other, it was the telling stories. And that was why the Victorian era was just such a beautiful place to try and set a game, because it's a, a world where everything is stretched to the extremes and nothing really makes sense. People are trying out new things and getting things terribly wrong. It's a world of massive ethical grey areas which you could play around in. It makes for such a rich, rich place. Can you tell us the process of how you got the game to where it is now? So, like, how do you go from sort of this idea of creating a game like this to sort of the final product? Ah, so this, to be honest, the actual making and designing of the game is a relatively easy process. It's the things that come after in terms of manufacture that are tough. So if you want to give this a go, I give everyone, please give it a try. We need more game designers in the world. All I did was jump onto Amazon and typed into the search box, blank playing cards. And I bought myself a packet of a thousand blank playing cards. And I just started drawing and writing on them and just seeing what came out. And slowly this world full of weapons and peril and crime just started to emerge. And I started to develop suits and decks and personalities. And that was literally it. It's just a question of playing around with ideas, with stationery. That's all the game design really needs to be. After that, you need to test it. That involves getting in, getting involved with playtesting groups and sending people copies of the game and so on and so forth. But the actual design part, you can do that. You can do that in your mind. You can do that wherever you want. Can you tell us about your experiences through playtesting your game then? Yes, absolutely. There are huge numbers of different ways that you can go about playtesting a game. And the first and most obvious one is get your friends around, give them a drink and say, all right, let's get started and play a game, which might not be that good, but we're going to give it a try. And that could be a lot of fun in itself. But once you've done that, there are so many different options that you can try. So if you live in, happen to live in the UK, but there's something called Playtest UK, which is a set of groups of people who meet regularly just to try out each other's game design. If you live in London, then pretty much every day of the week, there is a meeting happening somewhere. But they're happening in Bristol, they're happening in Birmingham, they're happening all over the place. So it's really easy to get involved if you can just make that little bit of time. If not, you could upload a version of your game onto the internet for people to download and try out and send you comments. And there are huge communities of what are called print and play testers, especially on Facebook. It's really easy to find them. Just type it in in the search. And they are happy to play pretty much anything at any level of uh, no matter what it looks like, you'll be able to find someone to try it. And then the next step, the bigger, more expensive option for later down the line is going to conventions. 
and then you will find dozens and hundreds of people who are willing to try out your game as part of their holiday often, which is an amazing feeling when they walk away smiling and happy. Why was it that you, you decided to use Kickstarter? The big problem about trying to start to publish a, a game of any sort is the amount of money that it requires just to get it off the ground. And Kickstarter is just a phenomenal resource. If you're not familiar with it, it's a, a website where you can basically upload your idea and say, I want to make this game, although they do all sorts of other things as well. And you can back dance recitals or electronic goods or, or whatever and say, I would like to buy a copy of that game when you make it. Here is my money in advance. I have looked at your plan. I think you're going to make it. Let's go for it. And it's just amazing. So me, for a first-time person, I was lucky enough to raise just over £5,000 in a month in the earlier this year. And since then, I've raised another £500 through another website. And it's made making a game at full professional quality completely possible which I never imagined could be something I could do. So how long would you say the whole process took from sort of the beginning of the idea to where you are now? Oh, this is the scary bit. Um, <laughs> I probably came up with the game in, I think it was 2016. And then I worked on mainly the graphics until about 2018. And then I took it to various playtesting groups and then to a convention called UK Games Expo, which is the third largest games expo in the world because I don't like doing things by halves. I showed it to 22,000 people. <laughs> At least I put it in front of 22,000 people. Just after that, I announced that I was going to do the Kickstarter in April this year. So just about two and a bit years. To go from sort of a, a very small idea, perhaps, and then just to follow it all the way through to now, that's, that's an incredible achievement. I'm very proud of it. I, understandably so, that's good. <laughs> what would you say are the best ingredients for a good story in Old Hellfire Club? So the first thing you, when playing in Old Fire Club that, that you need to be comfortable with is that you basically have no control over the story that is going to happen. As part of playing the story, you are going to be given a hand of cards and you're going to have to force the things that are in the cards that you've been dealt into the story somehow. So it is very quickly going to become total chaos. The first thing you need to do is be okay with that. And just with a couple of drinks, that's really easy to do. Um, the second thing I would say is it's probably confidence, which is a difficult thing to be saying because people often, I find that when they don't want to become involved in storytelling or role-playing, it's because they don't feel confident enough. And the thing that I would say to people is that confidence comes. It just involves being comfortable in a, uh, in an environment. And if all you're doing is is sitting around with your friends having a conversation in which you tell a story about something that happened. That's all you're doing in this game. All you're doing is, is sitting around telling jokes with your friends. So that's all you need. That's really all you need. Picking up what you said about confidence, I completely agree. I've What I try and do with this podcast is obviously try and induce new people into not only playing games, but to having a go at sort of GMing or DMing any one-shots, because that's the, what I started doing. I used to be like, you know, piles of books around me and go, well, no one's going to run these for me. I might as well run them myself. And at first, I was obviously very nervous and worried. Eventually, I think that, you know you get that confidence. But it's interesting with something as simple as, like you said, telling a story, but not knowing how it's going to end or what's going to happen in it. Some people get really like nervous about it, and they they worry that they're going to 
do it wrong or say something wrong. And I don't think that's true at all. In a way, it's a bit like improvisation. It's sort of the yes and rules. Like, you just got to go with it and commit to it 100% and just believe what you're saying. You were saying before in our sort of email exchange that you've only recently come into actual role-playing games yourself. So what was that experience like in you know in terms of, like, confidence, I guess, I'm trying to ask? is like, how was it experiencing something new compared to, say, something like telling a story compared to, like, role-playing games? So I suppose I differ from you a little bit in that I'm part of this new generation that started role-playing after things like Critical Role started up and the whole world has, has seen how an RPG can be run. Through those mediums and podcasts, I've had a really good baptism into all the different ways that you can you can try out different bits of this hobby. The caveat to that, of course, is that because people like you exist who do this so well, it also becomes a little scary because you think, oh my God, I've got to try and live up to these people who tell amazing and interesting stories. I suppose that for me, the um, it really came down to the crunch with when I, I sort of sat down and realized myself that the only people who I, the only person who I, I need to make, who I need to, to find, enjoy and find this interesting is me. If I can do that, then I'm getting all I, I, I wanted to get out of it. And then I already know that my friends like talking to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But it's, that, it's really that simple. <laughs> Letting yourself enjoy something, I think, is something many people don't do perhaps or are or, or worried that they're going to do it wrong i only started role playing maybe about two or three years ago myself um oh. yeah 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 i've ne- i've i think fifth edition dungeon dragon was my sort of way into it and that was only after watching i think the first 10 episodes of critical role through things like critical role and high rollers and other actual play podcasts where you can listen in and go oh that sounds cool i want to do the same thing it's opened up a whole sort of just another way of like getting involved in rpgs especially obviously dungeons and dragons but in fact that's one thing i would really love is seeing more kinds of systems being shown at such a high quality obviously right now it's going to be wizards of the coast because they you know they are mainstream now (laughs) i tell you what i would like to see as well is more one shots being done because the thing about critical role about dungeons and dragons is as an entry point is that it's so intimidating it's so big and I'm not sure that I have the mental capacity to design and sit through something that's equivalent to a three-film story arc for the first time. I'm not sure that my friends necessarily would want to anyway. Instant, that is what happened. Uh, <laughs> we didn't know that at the beginning. And so just having something that we can dip into and just try it and just paddle around in for a bit and be, be silly and have fun, that's what I would like to see more people doing. It doesn't necessarily create that same epic uh, spectacle but I think that it's a really important thing for the hobby as a whole. Actually, thinking about it, it's that sort of, again, that idea that you see it's done in such a way online. And yeah, like you said, they have like almost like the extended versions of Lord of the Rings. Like, and every week, so I listen to the podcast versions of Critical Role, and each episode is like three and a half, four hours each week. Yes. <laughs> That's like a, a Netflix box set. You know, I, I don't necessarily have time to sit down and watch it all or listen to it all in one sitting. Yeah, like you said, as soon as I go, oh gosh, I'm 10 episodes behind, I'll never catch up. It is kind of daunting. Whereas, like you said, if you watch or listen to a one-shot of something being done of of an interesting concept, like currently I'm searching um, for tomorrow, I'm running a one-shot of Grant Howitt's Jason Statham's Big Vacation, which is... It's really exciting. I'm looking forward to it, but I've never watched any Jason Statham's films. So I've been desperately, like, look, I've downloaded Crank for later and all the Transporter movies. I've looked at the trailers and gone, those look really silly films. And of course, those are only like mid 2000s and stuff. But it's, it's interesting. Again, there's only one or two run throughs of that on YouTube that I can find easily. You say professional 
Twitch streamers. So they've got the cameras for it. They've got the audio for it. I think a lot of people will get worried because they're like, oh, well, if I do it and I put it out, no one's going to watch it or it's not going to be as good as these people. And it's like, well, yes, it's not going to be good, but it doesn't matter as long as you and your players enjoy it. Absolutely. That, yeah, and it's it's worth ha- doing it anyway. Because you're, as I've always thought to myself, your first YouTube video is always going to be rubbish. Your first audio is going to be unlistenable when you listen back to it, all that sort of thing. And it's all about a learning experience. And if you put as much passion into it, into running a game or, or playing a game, capturing it is sort of second hand, really. It's absolutely. And for what it's worth to anyone who is thinking of doing something like that out there, if I start listening to a podcast and I'm, I start listening in the middle, I go back to the beginning. So your stuff will get listened to by me eventually. So just do it, please. We sort of touched on a bit here and there, but what do you think, like in either role play or in life in general, what do you think it takes to be a good storyteller? Oh, I think the first most important thing and probably the thing that I struggle with the most is letting go and letting your your other players do whatever they want. I'm a control freak it's not, <laughs> to the point that sometimes it's not funny. Uh, <laughs> but I get a huge amount of joy, luckily, of watching people take something that I made and run off with it and do something. So that works for me. But being willing to let people tear up your prize book and just create something new with it, it's a fantastic experience. I think the second thing is, and this is something that's really personal to me, and it goes a bit back to the world building, but I like, especially with storytelling, for there to be a a certain level of consistency. Because if you've got a world where rules and facts are constant and continue to make sense, then you add an extra layer of complexity to a game, which gives just another something for players to work with, and they can find the absurdities in the system and run with them. There's a, a wonderful little rule in James Wallace's Once Upon a Time, which is that you can challenge someone if they ever mention anything which contradicts something earlier in the story. And it's just the mental gymnastics that you have to go through to try and keep up with an hour-long game and everything that's been said. And the person who you wanted to marry the princess who was killed off in Act 2, it's wonderful. And so I, I think that willingness to balance between letting things go and holding things on a just enough of a rein to give your players a structure to play in, those are the two most important things. And for the old Hellfire Club, a decent drinks cabinet doesn't go amiss. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So what would you say are your favourite storytelling games or RPGs to play? Have you run any other uh, RPGs at all? I've, I've run a couple of really, really short ones. And I have to be totally honest, I do have a couple of really firm favourites. One that will be familiar to your listeners is, is Baron Munchausen. It's both a fantastic game and a fantastic book. Even if you don't know anyone who wants to play this game, get a copy of this book because it's beautifully written. So get it, get it, get it, get it. And the other one, which might actually also be slightly familiar, is something called Sean Bean Quest. Have you heard of it? Oh, it's the uh, sort of um, hack version of Goblin Quest, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, I, yes. I love this. So Goblin Quest is, if you haven't listened to the earlier episodes, and if you haven't, you should, is goblins trying to take on a quest, as the name suggests, and dying in various different ways. Sean Bean Quest is exactly the same thing, except all of the players play a different version of Sean Bean from a different film or programme that he's been in. So you'll just have a troop of Sean Beans, of Boromirs and Sharps. It's just wonderful, and you should play it because it's... For me, it encapsulates the anarchy and stupidity um, that I've tried to put in the old Hellfire Club, but it has Sean Bean, which is a good thing. Have you played the version where you also add in Mr. Bean? Oh, no, but that sounds awesome. Oh. <laughs> it's amazing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to dig it out. I'm going to get my friends to play. 
Now, there was sometime in the early 2000s, I had some friends who were really involved in roleplay, and there was a, a competition, I think it was an annual competition at the time, to produce a, a one-page RPG which had to have a really unique feature to it. And they played a couple, but there was one that I desperately wanted to bring back and I just can't find it, which is a caveman RPG in which none of the players are allowed to use language. They had to do the whole thing grunting. It would make a terrible podcast. I was going to say. <laughs> I think you're given one page sheet of grunts which do mean something. And then outside of that, it's all drawings and doing cave paintings with the sheets of paper that are in front of you to try and communicate what you're doing. And it just sounded amazing. I would love to do that. What is it about these RPGs that you've described that get it right for you? What is that sort of the key thing? You're like, that's what I like about playing role-playing games. I think that the first thing is that I like anarchy. (laughs) (laughs) I like to have no idea where a game is going. And I... Whilst I have enjoyed my first um, first foray into traditional D&D, because the world is it's well-trodden, it's harder to make things that are, are surprising. And there's really shocking moments. And so I think that's definitely a part of it. The other part of it is that there's, a, again, coming back against the world, and it's something we didn't talk about. My, If I would have a dream RPG, one that I would love to run or have run for me more than anything else, I don't know whether it will ever happen, because nobody else seems to like this. It's Wraith the Oblivion. Wraith is one of the the World of Darkness uh, campaigns, and it's been retired for probably getting on for 15 years now, I think. And the idea is that all of the players are ghosts in the afterlife, and you sort of sit in the Western afterlife in a very, very general sense, but it's got its own civil... The afterlife has its own unique civilization and rules and threats and so on. But you can travel to other continents, and there are afterlives based around the mythologies and, and religions of the other world. And it's just so deep in terms of the world, but so connected in terms of what reality is for us. It's based so thoroughly on things that people genuinely believe. There is a gap in the middle where there is so much room to play and the sheer imagination that went into it. I think that's the thing that I'm gunning for. I like an imaginative setting and I think Wraith just blows that away. It's, it's because they've got a history that goes back all the way back to the, I think it goes to Black Death or maybe even beyond. And it's all linked into the other World of Darkness campaigns as well. There are ways to make them fit together. It is so intricate and so beautiful and at the same time it's dark and because it is so otherworldly and so different and so based in our world, but really not at the same time, yeah. it's a surprise. We've talked about it a little bit, but what would you say is sort of your main tips for anyone who wants to develop their own game? I know you sort of touched on it briefly before. Oh, that's a good question. I think that my first point is, is start small. It's really easy to start developing your own game, but you can end up putting a lot of effort into something that doesn't work. And I've done this many times because I've started with an amazing three-act project. And I would say just start with a game that you've got and just create a house rule. Just that simple. Just say, right, okay, this is the way this normally runs. We're going to do it this way tonight. And if it doesn't work, we'll never do it again. And it just gives you a little bit of, one, an understanding of how to tinker with rules and what effects a rule change can have. And really importantly, it gives you experience of taking feedback, which for me is a difficult thing. I hope it's not just me. It's, it's a really important part of the game creation process. And then take little steps. Once you've created a house rule, then then why not reskin a game and just create a different environment so, or create a new setting for an RPG that you've got? That way you can start to understand how better how theme and rules 
works together and how it can be really awkward if they don't. It can really pull people out of the setting. And then once you've done that, then again, next step up, go simple card game, go one page RPG. I'm sure that actually that's that's a really tough thing to say because doing something small in many ways is a lot harder than doing something big because you've got so much less room for maneuver. But at the same time, you're making so much less of an investment. And that means that you can do it dozens of times. And once you've done it a couple of dozen times, you might be in the position that I was lucky to find myself in and have something that you were really proud of. And to be honest, I think if you go through that process, you deserve to be really proud of yourself because it's it can be tough. What plans do you have for the future? Do you have any other projects you're thinking about or are you just going to continue on the old Hellfire train? <laughs> Oh, I've, I've got to never stop thinking about projects. The first one, keeping on the old Hellfire Club theme for the moment, is that because it's a storytelling game, we're constantly, in, as you play the game, you're constantly creating adventures. So I'm in the early stages of working with some voice actors to turn those into audio dramas, a podcast based on the games that people create. We'll see how it all goes and so on, but there might come a point where you can create an adventure and send it in to us and <coughs> we will act it out. So yeah, um, if you like this idea, get in touch, please. Because help and support is always totally invaluable. And the second project that I'm sort of toying around with at the moment is that my artist for the old Hellfire Club is a guy called Bryn Jones, who's absolutely amazing. has a world that he's created called Black Rabbit. And it's this world, it's cyberpunk. It's a world where there have been massive nuclear explosions and bits of the world are just suddenly floating off into space and we're looking at creating something in that world so we'll just see what happens and see if that comes to anything so where can we find out more about your work and are you, do you have any social media accounts or anything like that that you can keep us updated with oh absolutely so social media couldn't be easier if you just go to twitter or instagram and type in at old hellfire you'll find our accounts there or if you go to facebook and type old hellfire as well we are on there as well but the one i would love to point you to if you're in any way interested in the game is our backer kit page which is where you can buy a copy of the game all you need to do is type backer kit old hellfire into google and you will find it and if you are in any way hesitant there is a free print and play version of the game on board game geek please do help yourself because it's out there for that reason and that reason alone. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Jamie. I always love talking to people about games. It's, it's, I've been so passionate about it. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been wonderful. I'm hoping to do more of these special Q&A bonus episodes in future, including Q&As on the one-shots we've run here at What Am I Rolling? If you have a question you would like to send in, or a submission for Help! My fictional RPG character is having difficulties, please send them along to our email address. That's whatamirollingpodcast at gmail.com. And that's it. Great. See you next time.